Good day. This is Neil Parks. I'm your host for Paranormally Speaking. I have an important episode, well, an interesting episode nonetheless, this week for you. I'm hoping you'll sit down for a minute and listen to this because there's a lot of information to go over. Bigfoot vandalizes a Winnebago and other questionable claims. A Pennsylvania man who accused Bigfoot of vandalizing his 1973 Winnebago in late 2014 is just one of a long history of people who have blamed the hairy humanoid for attacking personal property and dwellings. John Reed, a Bigfoot enthusiast, claims that during a camping trip, he and his girlfriend saw a tall, dark, hairy figure walk past their camper window at night. According to one of the news stories, Reed said that Bigfoot threw rocks at the mobile home's outside lights in order to escape discovery. This explanation doesn't make sense. If the Bigfoot didn't want to be noticed, it presumably wouldn't have walked right past the Winnebago's window with two people inside, nor throw rocks to the camper. The creature could simply have avoided the campsite or kept walking into the darkness if it did not want to be detected, instead of standing and throwing rocks at an exterior light. Perhaps the strangest part of the story is that Reed, who founded a Bigfoot hunting group and claims to have seen it twice before, did not photograph the creature. As odd as this story seems, Reed is not the first to claim the fine traces and evidence of what they assume must have been a Bigfoot-type creature, though not clearly seeing or photographing it at the time. The logic goes like this. I don't know what else it might have been, so it must have been a Bigfoot. It is well known that wild animals attack vehicles such as cars and RVs, especially if they can smell food inside. And many animals, including bears and raccoons, can be very clever and persistent in trying to get into vehicles and other containers. Trash cans in national parks have specifically designed latching mechanisms to thwart feral intruders. There have been other cases where unknown creatures attack vehicles though those attacks have typically occurred at night and or while the occupants were away. Strangely, Bigfoot are never credibly accused of attacking people. Just about every other animal in the world has been known to attack humans at some point, including cats, dogs, deer, moose, bear, boar, elk, cougar, birds, fish, and so on. Not so for Bigfoot, a fact that raises suspicion among many, many skeptics. And then, when you take into consideration the lack of evidence that we have yet to see, or that has been compiled, unfortunately, none of which has been brought to light, of actual encounter, well, I guess violent encounters with Bigfoot creatures, uh, there have been stories for decades of like a legion of Bigfoot creatures throwing boulders and rocks and whatnot at hunting cabins which I can kind of understand, especially if the um, Bigfoot creature's uh, dwelling is, is being disrupted or disturbed, uh, vandalized, or litter being left behind. I mean, perhaps the strangest part about that is uh, it's well known that wild animals attack vehicles such as RVs and so forth, and Bigfoot has been claimed to vandalize not only dwellings but also trees. And there's stories, countless stories of uh, Bigfoot creatures taking giant tree branches and snapping them just like you would a, a thin pretzel. I mean, it's nothing to them. 
In October of 2011, Bigfoot researcher and biologist John Bendergbale visited western Siberia to examine evidence of the Yeti, the Russian version of Bigfoot. He claimed to have found evidence that the creature broke trees and branches. Twisted trees like this uh, have also been observed in North, Car uh, North America, and they could fit into with the theory that Bigfoot makes nests with said branches. And there have been nests discovered in eastern Ohio um, from the Grassman, which is technically the Midwest's version of Bigfoot. Uh, he also said this to the interview uh, that he had with uh, The Sun, a British tabloid. And another mysterious incident that some attribute to Bigfoot or another unknown creature. In 2008, a South Carolina couple claimed that something vandalized their vehicle, leaving mysterious bite marks and ripping out part of the fender of their 2002 Dodge Grand Caravan. A famous 1924 Bigfoot attack, the most famous case of a Bigfoot attack, allegedly occurred at a place called Ape Canyon near Mount St. Helens, Washington. In 1924, a group of five miners worked at the site were besieged by a group of ape men. One of the miners, a man named Fred Beck, claimed that they sighted a group of Bigfoot high above them on the edge of the canyon. The miners then spent a terrified night holed up in their cabin, during which the Bigfoot bombarded the cabin with rocks, and they claimed even tried to break down the door. The miners couldn't get a good look at the Bigfoot creature at that point, partly because it was dark and because they could not see outside through the small cracks in the door and walls. The incident was cited for years in Bigfoot lore as a classic Bigfoot attack, and the details were exaggerated with some retelling each time. For example, a few dozen fist-sized rocks that rained down on the roof and walls became giant boulders. In some versions of the story, later research found that the famous Ape Canyon Bigfoot attack was not a hoax, but nor was it real. It was instead a combination of a prank and misperceptions. It seems that the Bigfoot were local YMCA youth from nearby Spirit Lake who had a long tradition of throwing stones, including pumice rocks, which can be deceptively light for their size, down into the canyon from above. The kids would not have known the miners were in the canyon, nor even that they were necessarily hitting a cabin in the darkness far below. When the miners looked up, they would have seen silhouettes of figures far above them. It must surely have been a terrifying experience for the miners, and it's easy to see how the Bigfoot story could have been spawned all these years from that one encounter. Fantastic. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. 
And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. That's terrific. Now that we're back from our commercial, I was discussing Popobawa from Swahili, the language, of course. Near Zanzibar, this creature with one eye and an extremely large penis. I know, the large penis gets me too. But it doesn't get me, if you know what I mean. Also, Popobawa is the name of an evil spirit which is believed by residents to have first appeared on the Tanzanian island of Pemba. In 1995, it was the focus of a major outbreak of mass hysteria and panic, which spread from Pemba to the main island of the Zanzibar archipelago and across to Deir es Salaam and other urban centers on the East African coast. That brings us to Ahul. The Ahul is a flying cryptid, supposedly a giant bat, or by other accounts, a living pterosaur or flying primate. Such a creature is not known to science, and there is no objective evidence that it exists as claimed. However, it is said to live in the deepest rainforests of Java, and it is described as having large dark eyes, large claws on its forearms, approximately the size of an infant, and a body covered in gray fur. Possibly the most intriguing and astounding feature is that it is said to have a wingspan of 10 feet. This is almost twice as long as the largest known bat in the world, the common flying fox. Bat Squatch. It's another flying cryptid. Yes, Bat Squatch. Never heard of this one till today. Well, actually, until I started putting this together and did this presentation. Nonetheless, this is was allegedly sighted near Mount St. Helens. It resembles a flying primate, similar to the Ahul and the Orangbati of Southeast Asia. Although it was sighted only once for a brief moment. Once, mind you, and it made my list. The witnesses allegedly took several pictures of the creature. However, these pictures have not been properly analyzed and thus cannot prove the creature's existence. This one, this is so original. Owl Man. The Owl Man, sometimes referred to as the Cornish Owl Man, or the Owl Man of Manan, is a purported cryptid that was supposedly sighted around mid-1976 in the village of Manan, Cornwall. Yeah, I've never heard of Owlman. Mothman's a little more believable. The Owlman is sometimes compared to America's Mothman. There we go, ding, 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 in cryptozoological encounters and literature. The Manan Church is built in the middle of a prehistoric earthwork. It's suggested that the church may be built on a ley line, which is a straight line that passes through and links several ancient sites, and speculated that the appearance of the Owlman may be a manifestation of Earth energy in this place. And here's the money shot, Mothman. This one's my boy. I do the Mothman Festival almost every year as a guest speaker. That's where I sell my books, T-shirts I design, artwork that I do. Uh, now I've got nine-inch tall Sasquatch silhouettes on a pedestal that I'm selling. Uh, check out my... Uh, webpage for that link if you uh, want to know how to order one of those or just email me and I can send the link your way. Uh, 
Mothman is a winged creature reportedly seen in the Point Pleasant area of West Virginia. From the 15th of November, 1966 to the 15th of December, 1967, the first newspaper report was published in the Point Pleasant Register, dated 16 November, 1966, titled, Couples See Man-Sized Bird, Creature, Something. Mothman was introduced to a wider audience by Gray Barker in 1970, later popularized by John Keel in his 1975 book, The Mothman Prophecies claiming that Mothman was related to a wide array of supernatural events in the area and that the collapse of the Silver Bridge. The 2002 film, The Mothman Prophecy, starring Richard Gere, was loosely based on Keel's book. On December 15, 1967, the Silver Bridge collapsed while it was full of rush hour traffic, resulting in the deaths of 46 people. Two of the victims were never found. That's probably because of the catfish that are in the river that are the size of Volkswagen beetles. Anyway, investigations of the wreckage pointed to the cause of the collapse being the failure of a single eye bar in a suspension chain due to a small defect that was no more than 2.5 millimeters deep in the flaw. Analysis showed that the bridge was carrying much heavier loads than it had originally been designed for. It was poorly maintained. The collapsed bridge was replaced by the Silver Memorial Bridge, which was completed in 1969. After the catastrophe of the bridge collapse, the UFO sightings that were dominating the skies over Point Pleasant and Gallipolis, Ohio, suddenly stopped. The Men in Black, MIB, vanished and stopped harassing people, and the Mothman moved on. There have even been an array of Mothman's Mothman-type sightings in Nelsonville, Ohio, before the collapse of a train tunnel. Uh, also, over New York City, a week leading up to the 9-11 attacks. And a month leading up to the Chernobyl catastrophe in Russia. As well as the nuclear power plant explosion catastrophe in Japan. Several sightings of this type of creature have always been attached to some major catastrophe or an event that leads to uh, mass casualties. Winged cryptids and entertainment. Of course, there is a market for this. Uh, the entertainment value, that being new discoveries. This is something I hold dear to and preach constantly. Each year, scientists record another 18,000 new species of plants and animals. In recent years, they've added about 70 new reptiles and 400 new fish annually to the world's databases of species. Even more discoveries of plants and invertebrates have come forward. Biologists every year document about 2,000 new species of flowering plants and 13,500 new invertebrates. Now, this is your fun factoid. To date, we have explored less than 5% of our oceans. 5%. We've lived on this planet for millennia, and we've only thoroughly explored 5% of a planet that is over 72% water. The ocean is the lifeblood of this planet, covering more than 70% of the planet's surface, driving weather, regulating temperatures, and ultimately supporting all living organisms. 
Throughout history, the ocean has been a vital source of sustenance, transport, commerce, growth, and inspiration. Yet for all our reliance on the ocean, 95% of this realm remains unexplored and what is inside has remained unseen by human eyes. According to National Geographic, 86% of the world's species are still unknown. 86%! We are within reach of finding all of the remaining species. Are we way off? According to the experts and my research, the answer is we are that far off from thoroughly mapping and understanding the planet in which we inhabit with these creatures. When did we find these? The discoveries of the Western world. Let's start with gorillas. They were discovered in 1847 by the Western world, thought to be a creature of myth and legend. The Western gorilla was discovered by the American and missionary Thomas Stoughton Savage and a naturalist, Jeffrey Wyman. That was in 1847. That was just a short while before the Civil War. And then we've got the coelacanth. Coelacanths were thought to have gone extinct millions of years ago in the late Crustaceous period. But they were rediscovered in 1938 off the coast of South Africa. And these are beast fish. These are like dinosaur monster looking fish. They're not attractive at all. You wouldn't want these in an aquarium. Then you've got the panda. In 1869, a French missionary, Armand Pierre David, obtained a specimen of a giant panda from Sichuan. And they were thought to be creatures of myth. No one believed these things truly existed in the Western world until they freaking found it and saw it for themselves. Then we got a giant squid thought to be a thing of myth, thought to be a part of deep sea tales and legends of pirates and merchants. It was photographed for the first time in 2004 and captured on video for the first time in 2006. And it's bigger than six freaking Greyhound buses. It's a giant squid, a monster squid. The things of legend and lore often used in movies like Sinbad or Pirates of the Caribbean even. Um, monster squid. And, and you know, we, we have in restaurants where we're eating baby squid or we're eating fried octopus. And I have a soft spot for octopi. They're an amazing creature, uh, an amazing specimen. The DNA within these creatures doesn't match any known DNA strand or chromosome composite that we've yet to discover on this planet. Their DNA composite is thought to be something of alien origin. And they swim in our oceans. And they get bigger and bigger the deeper you go. And we'll never, in my lifetime, reach the depths of the ocean required to see much bigger beasts. But due to climate change and the water rising because of the melting of the polar ice caps and the permafrost being gone, we're seeing and witnessing a lot more of these creatures coming up to the surface because the waters are getting colder. Where in, say, the Midwest, it's experiencing snow in mid-May. Are we going to have a snowstorm in July? And these are things that 
are cyclical and they rely on natural habitat. And when things speed up, like with what we're doing on our own planet, natural occurrences and weather changes and weather patterns speed up drastically. And that throws the entire system off whack. Available to order now, my first audiobook, Neil Parks Presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available, and last spring my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author, R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. The Awakening. It was Labor Day weekend, and according to the weatherman, it was going to be one of the warmest on record. Thomas and some friends were camping in Okani State Park in South Carolina. They were seniors in high school and went with Thomas's uncle. He was an ROTC instructor who was also a substitute teacher at their high school. This was a guy in his 50s, cool to talk to, and still built like an ox. He was a sergeant while in the Army and was the true definition of a badass. On their first night camping, it was warm and windy. They went off the grid and followed an uncharted path to an isolated area deep in the wilderness. This was a favorite spot of the sergeants, and he wanted to introduce the rest of the campers to his area. There were some natural paths, a blue hole nearby, uncharted caves, and more wilderness than any of the boys had ever seen in one trip. After they explored the blue hole and splashed in the deepest and cleanest lake they had ever seen, they were ready for dinner and for some unwinding. The group spent a while goofing off around the fire, trying to scare one another, making stupid animal noises. Mike, one of Thomas's friends who came along on the camping trip, suggested that they tell some ghost stories before bed. I'll start the first story, and if it's too much for everyone, then we can stop. <laughs> a few of the others groaned and rolled their eyes. They scoffed at his suggestion, calling it something little kids do around a campfire. Sarge, as he was known by the boys, surprised everyone when he spoke up and said, Okay, gang, quiet. Quiet, here's the plan. I'll share a story with all of you. And the first one who pisses their pants will have to take a hike in the woods and gather more wood. The group stopped chatting at that point and looked at their group leader in astonishment. Sarge normally only talked when someone pressured him. This time, he volunteered to speak and actually tell a story. This was way out of character for him. The boys were anxious to hear what he had to say. Sarge continued, now that I have your undivided attention, this was a story shared with me when I was stationed in Germany. This happened in a heavily wooded area, a lot like where we are now. 
a small village on the outskirts of the forest had been experiencing bizarre events. The animals belonging to the townspeople had started dying off, one by one. In the morning, their owners would discover their animals outside with huge holes dug in their chest. The people thought it was the work of a bear or a pack of wild dogs, and resolved to find the culprit or culprits responsible by setting traps on the outskirts of their property and holding nightly vigils until the beast was caught or killed. One night, a man by the name of Thomas was closing a store for the night. It was very late, and he was anxious to get home to his family. He shut off the lights and then closed the door to his store. As he turned around to go to his car, he saw a dark shape in the distance. He stood still trying to make out what it was. As it got closer, Thomas turned to go. It was the last move he ever made. The next day, they found him with ten deep holes in his chest. This made the townspeople very worried and terrified. They were scared more people might get killed. The scenario for the killings was the same, but the killings escalated to humans. One night, two brave brothers, John and Jacob, went out to track down who or what was on this killing spree and destroy this perpetrator once and for all. They each took huge knives, rifles, and radios. They said bye to their father and kissed their fragile grandmother on the way out. A few hours into their self-appointed mission, the two boys decided to split up. One would trace the locations where the dead animals had been discovered, and the other would investigate where the murder of Thomas took place and search nearby streets for clues. They agreed to meet back in front of Thomas's store in three hours. If one brother came across some evidence or thought he was in danger of being attacked, they could use the radios to contact the other. So they set off, keeping a close eye on the shadows. Nothing seemed to happen at first. It was a calm night, and it seemed like they would eventually make it home safely. Suddenly, John heard a crackling in the bushes behind him. He tried to call out to his brother, but it was too late. The figure leaped out of the bushes and tackled him, gouging his chest with its massive claws. Luckily, Jacob was within an earshot and heard the commotion. He rushed to help his brother. He leaped through the air and cut off the creature's right hand with a machete. The beast screamed out in pain and disappeared in the night. Jacob took John to the hospital where the doctors treated his wounds and bandaged him up. The doctors called them heroes. John's wounds weren't serious, so he was treated and released. The brothers finally got home at six in the morning. Only their grandmother was, was up at that time, so they said good morning to her. Then she went back to bed. Neither of them noticed their father ripped to shreds on the kitchen floor or the fact that their grandmother's right hand was missing. The rest of the campers howled and shouted at the woods near the campsite after the story that Sarge shared. Mike noticed that Jason had spilled something all over his pants and exclaimed to everyone, Hey, Jason pissed his pants because of the story. <laughs> he got, you gotta go fetch wood. Jason looked at his pants and said, No, no, that's not what it is. I spilled water all over myself, you moron. The group erupted in laughter, and even the Sarge got into the spirit of things and cracked a smile. Okay, okay, it's late, troops. Let's turn in and get up at sunrise for breakfast and a hike, Sarge commanded. Most of the campers chose to sleep in their tents, 
while the Sarge, Mike, and Jason decided to sleep under the stars. Around the campfire, of course. Right after retiring for the evening, various members of the group made goofy animal noises and, of course, the usual fart sounds boys make when they get together as a group. It was who could gross out the group most or scare someone into sleeplessness. It didn't take long, though, before the group drifted off to sleep. The Sarge, Mike, and Jason awoke at that time. In the middle of the night, the unpleasant smell of wet dog and rotten flesh filled the air. Sarge thought that it might be the damp leaves expelling a rotten odor or the smell of a dead animal blowing in the wind. He tried not to worry about it and didn't want to scare the other campers, but Mike and Jason were not only curious but also concerned. A few of the other campers woke up due to this horrible stench and started muttering to one another. The Sarge said, Oh, just go back to sleep and ignore it. It's just a damn animal. After that was said, everyone just slotted off to sleep and decided it was time to be quiet and just go to sleep. Had a big day ahead of them. The campsite fell silent and they slept through the rest of the night. When they awoke the next morning, the sun was peeking over the hillside and blanketed the land with warmth. A few of the campers came crawling out of their tents and noticed that Sarge was already stoking the fire and brewing coffee. He had been up for a while and walked the campsite and the woods surrounding them. "'Morning, Sarge,' Mike said as he emerged from his sleeping bag. He looked around and noticed a group of guys walking collectively from one spot to another and discussing something about their discovery. Mike looked at Sarge and said, "'What's their deal? What are they gibbering about?' The Sarge replied, without looking away from his fire, "'There are huge paw prints all over the place.' Mike looked around and said, "'What the? Did anyone see a dog here last night?' "'I thought I smelled one,' Thomas said. There were paw prints four feet away from where Thomas had laid his head that night. The prints were long and wide. They sunk deep into the ground. "'Whatever it was must have been huge and heavy. It couldn't have been a bear. Look at that track!' Everyone in the group was pretty freaked out by what they found. They all agreed that they did in fact smell something foul and felt as if they were being watched last night. The group wanted to clear their heads and gather their wits, so they decided to go exploring after breakfast. They were about 10 miles from town. Phone service was non-existent. There was a ranger tower with a radio and a landline if they needed help, or if there was an emergency. The tower was a five-mile hike uphill and near an abandoned caving area. As the group went exploring, the Sarge was playing, paying close attention to their surroundings and tracking whatever it was that was near their campsite. He'd been following the strange tracks from their area all the way to where they were walking. The group approached the closed-off caving area. It was no longer open to the public. There had been a few cave-ins in the past, and due to a minor earthquake a few years before, an unusually large sinkhole had opened up near the mountainside. How deep do you think that pit goes, Sarge? One of the campers asked. All eyes were on the Sarge at this point. He was crouched down near a natural trail and was analyzing some bizarre tracks that were all over their campsite. The Sarge found a strange clump of fur near one of the tracks. He paced back 
where he found it and stood abruptly to face the campers. All right, show's over. We need to uh, start heading back now, head back to our site, Sarge said with a sense of urgency in his tone. The group stood befuddled. With an abrupt announcement, Thomas spoke up. Sarge, what the heck are you talking about? Why are you acting so weird right now? Sarge responded with a sense of urgency in his voice. Enough chit-chat, gang. We move now. It was at that moment that the entire group lined up behind Sarge and proceeded to follow him. On the way back to the campsite, they were moving faster than when their journey had begun. Hey, Thomas, what if Bigfoot is hanging around your tent when we get back? One of the friends called out to him. Before Thomas could respond, the sergeant held up his arm, spun around with his finger over his mouth, and whispered for everyone to crouch down. Everyone behind the sergeant turned their attention forward and locked their gaze on what Sarge was watching. What the hell, man? What the freak is that? Thomas whispered. The sergeant raised his hand and made a fat fist to instruct the campers to lower their voices and wait for his orders to be given. Within a few seconds, everyone in the group could see what had Sarge so worried. Standing in the middle of a clearing near the hiking trail was a hairless animal that stood over six feet tall. It was hunched over and on its hind legs. It looked directly at the group, slowly walked to the side of the trail, let out an ungodly howl, and the creature darted into the woods and left everyone frozen in fear. A rotting wet dog odor filled the air. It was the same terrible smell that permeated the campsite the night before. Everyone saw Sergeant Major like they had never seen him before. He was absolutely frozen with fear. All the campers were equally terrified. The grotesque-looking creature they saw shook the sergeant to his core. He stood in silence for what felt like several minutes, just staring at the wilderness where the beast vanished. When he finally regained his composure, he once again assumed his leadership role and instructed the campers to get moving quickly and not to look back. Sarge bellowed, Boys, we are leaving. Pack up everything quickly. We are going to get back to the site and let's get out of here. None of the boys argued. They stayed close behind Sarge as he quickly moved through the trail. Upon arriving to the campgrounds, they found a majority of their supplies and equipment had been damaged or destroyed, and everything was tossed all around the site. What? What, what happened? Who did this? Thomas cried out. The group also noticed that a few of the tents had huge rips going down the sides as if someone took a sword to them. Why would someone do this? One of the boys asked. Sarge ignored the question altogether and instructed the boys at this most commanding voice, grab what you can and leave what's been destroyed. A few of the campers started to panic as they noticed that they were at least three of those same creatures they saw earlier standing in front of the areas around the hillside. They moved quickly to gather their belongings and piled into their vehicles. Without a second thought, they sped away, leaving a smoke screen of gravel and dirt behind them. Sergeant Major vowed on that day to never set foot in that park for the rest of his life. He no longer allowed the ROTC to camp in that area either. The events of that weekend would indeed go on to haunt these once happy campers, 
and forever discourage them from partaking in a recreational pastime that they once so greatly enjoyed. What did they actually see? No one truly knows. They knew whatever it was, it wasn't alone. There were more of them. Were they leftovers from a previous age that never evolved? Were they man or were they beast? Should the group have reported their encounter? Or was it the right thing to keep their discovery a secret? What if other unsuspecting campers in the park encounter them and they aren't so lucky? Or as lucky as Sarge and his group? The scary story that Sarge told the group that was told to him while he was in Germany years ago didn't seem to be a legend anymore. For these ROTC campers, the story became a reality. Could it be true? That story was told to Sarge in Germany. What happened to these campers was in the United States. Could there be more of these ancient beasts around the world? What do you think? Be careful while you're in the woods. And happy camping. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha. Night, night. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it wasn't too terrifying. Have a great rest of the week. I will see you next time with more strange and unusual fun facts. I'm Neil Parks, your host for Paranormally Speaking. Please enjoy the rest of the day. Be good to yourself. Be good to those around you. And try really hard to help those that are less fortunate. Always wanna go, but you